Hello, lovers of drama. It's me, Dylan McDowell, flying solo for a change. Now, just before this fabulous episode ahead with Broadway icon Anne Harada, I'm going to have to get a little business-oriented with you. I want to talk to you about joining our drama club on patreon.com backslash the drama podcast. There's a link right in the episode notes that will take you to our exclusive bonus content site where we drop extra episodes pretty much every week, as well as alert the privileged Patreon subscribers about upcoming guests before the world finds out. I know, I know. We have so much fun. We recently tipsily recorded a 2015 Tony Awards rewatch. We also dropped some bonus episodes with Jennifer Tepper, Robbie Roselle, and deep friends of the pod near and far. If you want more than just one episode of drama a week, please consider supporting and joining our Patreon community where there's plenty of tea to sip, spill, and share. Hey, drama listeners. We want to tell you about this literally amazing online platform called Broadway Plus. We mention it all the time. All the time. You know Nathaniel, who came on our show back in November. He's the founder. And you know all of our guests. The majority of them are part of Broadway Plus. Yeah, if you're not on Broadway Plus, you're only getting half the story. Especially now, without theater, we need something like Broadway Plus, which will connect you to all your favorite Broadway stars, beyond interviews on drama, of course. You'll get virtual experiences like meet and greets, concerts, and workshops. The list goes on and on, and it is very much worth the investment. But I have a dose of drama. Oh? Yes. Okay, so it's fun. It's a fun one. Broadway Plus is offering drama listeners one month for free off of their group event subscription service called Plus Pass, which Nathaniel actually broke the news when he came on our pod. Oh, that was sizzling to That was exclusive. Time, yeah. uh, page six. Anyway... So Plus Pass gives you access to exclusive cast reunions and concerts that happen weekly. You can check out their upcoming events and use the code DRAMAPOD at broadwayplus.com slash plus pass for your first month free. I know we will see you there. Drama. Drama. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life in, in New, York, New York, City York City and, and the, world. the world. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm good. You know what? It's the I don't know when this podcast will come out, but it's the morning after Oprah interviewed Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Mm. And it is all the world can talk about. It's all I'm thinking about. What a fantastic interview. I know. Oprah is the best. Oh my God. She is. She has such empathy. And she also, what I love is she circles back to something. If she didn't feel that the moment had enough time to breathe. Yes. Like there's this moment that I can't stop thinking about where Harry, whether he's been media trained or not said that his father stopped taking his calls and he just kind of kept moving. And then later Oprah said, Oh, and is your father, is he taking your calls again? It was just so interesting. And Meghan Markle. She's so strong. Oh, my God. She really maintained her composure while revealing her, like, deepest vulnerabilities, you know? I know. I mean, the things that she said, there was, like, a hot topic every every commercial break. There was something different that it led Mm -hmm. into. I mean, I feel so, so sad for her. I know. But in awe, in awe of the way that her and Harry have started this new life, I hope things change as far as the, the monarchy goes and you know, as avid the crown watchers, <laughs> yes. even Oprah, even yes, Oprah, so we're, we're in good company. Um, I wonder how this will be remembered in history and if things will change. I hope if anything, there's change. Oh, I think it's legendary. It's going to be one of those. If, if they were covering Harry and Meghan on the crown, I think this would be one of those moments that yes. they would do. You know, oh, my God, the part that I was so gagged when Oprah was asking about, you know, that tabloid sto- story about Meghan making Kate cry. And Meghan's just like sitting there and she reveals that the reverse happened. I, know. I think we looked at each other, our jaws were on the floor. We were like, oh, this is a, a gag. But I will reveal. say she didn't vilify Kate Middleton. Oh no, she not still at all. said that, that she apologized. She, it was more so about the fact that the family didn't come out in defense of her. I was thinking if the crown does continue, I think that Katie Holmes looks just like Kate Middleton and she could do that role. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, she's played Jackie Kennedy in, in certain things. Oh, I love that. I could see it. And also, I just have to say, having Oprah, a woman of color, talking to Megan, a woman of color, was the best and most perfect way to do it. And obviously, the monarchy, the firm, the institution, they don't talk about 
race at all. Yeah. And obviously they wanted to, it's, it's, it is a problem. And Harry yeah. wouldn't, re, you know, reveal who was talking to him about his child's skin tone. So it was definitely, know. definitely William. I mean, let's just put it out there. Anyways, I think it was William. I thought I was thinking it was Charles, but okay. Anyway. We have an amazing guest today. We have an amazing guest who, you know, we, we, we touch on this every now and then. When we first came up with the concept for drama, there was a dream list and we put a section called Top of the Call Sheet. Yes, we did. This person was on that list. And now, a year and a half later, it's happening. All right. I'm going to bring her in. Bring her in. Our guest today is the definition of a Broadway icon. Having made her performance debut on The Great Bright Way in the original production of M. Butterfly, she's gone on to appear on Broadway in Susical, 9 to 5 the musical, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella as Charlotte, the revival of Les Miserables as Madame Tenardier, and of course for creating the legendary Christmas Eve in Avenue Q in New York and on the West End. Bringing her acclaimed comedic chops and show-stopping vocals to Christmas Eve, the role won her an Audience Choice Award for favorite featured actress in a musical for Broadway.com. Our guest has appeared off-Broadway in Emojiland, Pacific Overtures, Brooklyn Night, Dropping Gumballs on Luke Wilson, as well as the all-Asian production of Falsettoland. She's appeared at the Muni in High School Musical, Matilda, Gypsy, and more. Too many credits to mention because she's literally always working. You'll know her as the legendary Linda, the stage manager from Smash, as well as on Blue Bloods, House of Cards, Master of None, Younger, 30 Rock, my favorite show, The Good Wife, The Flight Attendant, Search Party, and the upcoming Schmigadoon, which we will get into. She was nominated for a 2020 Indie Series Award for Best Guest Supporting Actress for Indoor Boys. You better be gagging. So please welcome to drama, Anne Harada. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hi. Well, that's my whole life. Okay, thanks. That was so yep. fun, guys. That's our time. <laughs> yeah. And it's so nice to meet you. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be here. And did you watch the Oprah interview with Megan and Harry? Well, funny you should say. I watched some of it. I was actually, we had to interrupt our viewing of The Crown to like go over. <laughs> like we forgot, you know, and I was like, oh shit, the interview's on. And then, you mm-hmm. know, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Of course I have feelings. I think we all have feelings about that <laughs> interview. Mm-hmm. Um, all you have to do is watch the crowd and you know exactly uh-huh. how everything plays out, really. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the control issues that, you know, the crown has and, um, you know, how they managed to ruin a whole lot of people's lives, not just Megan and Harry's, oh, yeah. but like, just look at everybody else in the family. Yes. Oh, I know. That's so, so true. You know, and I'm not saying like, of course, it's not a documentary, the crown. It's, you know, a fictionalized history but it's, you know, it's completely plausible and you feel like, okay, I mean, I'm not saying she said this, but this pro- something like this sort of went down probably. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Oh my, oh my goodness. God. I have, I also noticed um, the Critics' Choice Awards were on concurrently with um, the interview and I have to see the poetic moment of um, Emma Corrin winning for the crown at the same time that Meghan Markle is talking about um, what basically history repeating itself with Diana and Megan. Right. It was fascinating. Yeah. Ooh, life and art imitating one another. When are they going to show that Diana musical? I thought they taped that Diana musical. I know. I think, I think they said like May, May, 2021, but that was when Broadway was supposed to like be on its way back by then. So I imagine maybe uh-huh. in the fall, maybe in the fall. Yeah. And I don't want to get too ahead of things, but you were in the West End with Avenue Q. Did you get the chance to go to Buckingham Palace or see any of the sites? You know, I well, of course, I saw sites. I never went mm. to Buckingham Palace because it was such a time suck, you know, just the waiting oh, and yeah. the things. And also at that point, my kid was two. Oh. So there just wasn't that much we could do all I kind of on that front. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I did get to, you know, I mean, of course, I saw as many historical things as I could see. I love the Tower of London. I've been to, oh, I went to yes. as many museums as I could jam in there. And also I've been to London a couple of times since I, you know, I love it. It's my favorite place to go. Oh. And it's my dream. It's like my fantasy, you know, like plan a vacation. So mm-hmm. I've literally planned, a va- I've literally during the pandemic, I've planned vacations for March, May, <laughs> July. Like I li- just keep moving the bar over, you know, um, because a very good friend of mine is, is playing, well, 
when it opens again, playing Jean Valjean over there. Oh, amazing. And, you know, he had played Marius and I guess Angela at some point, you know, he sort of moved his way up on the chain at Les Mis. So he now he's the star and I'm desperate to go over and see him do it. Isn't this like that um, like really scaled down version of Les Mis? Is that what they were doing over there? I don't think so. I think okay. this is a, I think this is full on Les Mis. OK, good. You got to go big or go home with Les Mis. That's how I say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love when actors play a younger role and then grow up and they age into it. I wonder if um, any like young cassettes or Eponines have gone on to play. Well, I think Leah Michelle did go on to play Eponine at the Hollywood Bowl or something. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Oh, you mean like children, children? Yeah. Yeah. Like little cassette that plays big cassette. Mm -hmm. Because we all know that there's been like Eponines who've moved up to Fontaine. Yes. Yes. Leah Salonga. The iconic, the iconic Leah Salonga. Oh, I love, I love I think that. Nick Jonas was Gavroche and then he did Marius. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, enough about all these other people. We are here to talk about you, Anne. <laughs> We've got to ask, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's been about a year since the world changed forever. Are you well? Sure. <laughs> I mean, as well as anybody can be. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, things have definitely happened in this past year, kind of like health-wise, but it hasn't been, you know, Luckily, my family has not had COVID, you know. Thank goodness. Um, but it doesn't mean we haven't had other health issues. <laughs> and it's, yeah. you know, it's just it's just a drag to to have to, like, think about health, you know, like your health all the time so much, 24-7. And, like, that's sort of what it's been like for a year, right? Like, okay. every single day, like, have you ever washed your hands so much? Have you ever thought so much about being in a store? You know, like, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and then being worried about, you know, other people, you know, like not wearing a mask or whatever it is. It's just it's just exhausting. Oh, my God, it is. I was actually reading something the other day about how we will all have such like, you know, PTSD from this for probably for the rest of our lives. I am sure we will. Yeah, it's been crazy. I will never touch a a hand railing in the subway again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you say that. I will, right? And then I'm just like and casually like leaning like, oh. against it. Because I'm in the subway all the time now. And mm-hmm. I, you know, and I behave like it's nothing's different except that mm-hmm. I'm wearing a mask and everybody's taking very good care to like sit far apart. God, I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. I'm The number of times I would say sorry on the subway, bumping into people on the way home from work was, it was like my catchphrase. At the point where people just like understand. Also, I'm not I'm picking times not to travel during like rush hour, you know, oh, and good. stuff like that, because that's very that's very scary. Now, have you been in New York all of this past year? Oh, no. A big chunk of the time um, my family spent on Cape Cod. Oh, wow. My mother in law has a house there. And so she kind of let us move in and stay Oh, how um, nice! for a big chunk um, starting last year. My family was there all summer long and into the fall. Oh, that's beautiful. And we didn't come home till after Thanksgiving. And then we're going to go, probably going to go back there this weekend Yay. and at least, and at least stay for a month or so just to get a change of pace and to be able to go outside more freely and look at the stars and all those things you can't do in New York. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you and also you are in the new Apple TV Plus series Schmigadoon. Yes. Where did that film? Well, that was in Vancouver. Vancouver. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is how that went down. So I was in the I was on the Cape. And I got the call to audition, right? So I submitted my tape. Then they were like, we need you to do a Zoom call back. I was like, oh, okay. So because <laughs> the, the thought of all of that to me just makes me go like, I'm never getting this. Um, so then I Zoom call back from my mother's basement, um, at which point Bernie tells, he said, nice ironing board, you know, because I hadn't bothered to clear out all the background. <laughs> um so then that happened. Then I got the job, which was awesome. But I had to go back to New York to get my passport and pack. Then I got on the plane. I went to Vancouver. Then we quarantined for two weeks, like in our hotel rooms, like literally never leaving our hotel rooms. Couldn't go to the lobby. Couldn't do laundry. Couldn't anything. Nothing. Wow. People brought up, you know, groceries or 
food delivery and they left it at the door, you know, DoorDash, they leave it at the door and they knock and then that's it. Um, Two weeks, you know, and you're literally like, I'm going insane. I'm going insane. So then after two weeks, then they were like, hey, you have have a first you have like your costume fitting. I'm like, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was a long time. We were there. I was there for a long time, a couple months. Then I came back. I returned to the Cape. Then we drove back to New York. I guess I've been in New York since Thanksgiving. Wow. Nice. Well, you have a well-deserved little getaway this weekend. Yes, it'll be fun. Oh my goodness. We have so many questions for you. So many things to like dip into, but of course we need to talk about the worst people, you know, which is Uh. this incredible web series that you, you have the, the show stealing number in the final episode of. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but it's, yes, I, you know, Natalie is, is, brilliant composer mm-hmm. and it was so fun to shoot this thing which feels like it was maybe five ten years ago we shot it so you got me i have no idea okay i was like this has to be pre-pandemic for sure but... oh my god so pre-pandemic uh-huh. <laughs> we were like trying to find the billboards in times square like oh who's the waitress in this billboard is that <laughs> like, which one is we it can narrow it down to a six month <laughs> gap here yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, what a fun show. How did you get involved in that? You know, she emailed me and said, do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah. Like, you know, obviously, guys, I'm. it's not like it's hard to find me. You can, oh. if you want to reach me, you can find me. Oh, I love it. So it's like, yeah, if she, you know, yeah. You're very accessible. And I think that's why so many, I mean, we called you a Broadway icon and 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 whether you accept that title or not, it's, it's you've been so present for so many theater fans for, for, I mean, at least since Avenue Q in my mind, that I think that that's what makes you so special. And, and every time your name pops up, fans rejoice everywhere. Well, that's very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Oh my gosh. I I remember discovering Avenue Q during that, I mean, that iconic theater season, but we were, we were younger then. And I remember we had Netflix and (laughs) it was when you would get DVDs mailed to your house from Netflix. And we got this documentary about Avenue Q, Wicked, Taboo, and Carolina Change. And we were just obsessed with all of those shows, but you know, Avenue Q, of course, when we, when we were that age, we were like, what, 13, maybe Dylan, mm-hmm. we yeah. were, we were, it was, it felt like shocking, you know, and a little bit more mature than perhaps our age was, but we were obsessed. And I remember when the national tour came to town, we like somehow convinced our mom to let us go see it, but we would not let our mom come with us. We were like, we can't sit with our, our mom during this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that should have tipped her off right there. I know. She was like, okay. (laughs) We're like, you don't need to spend the money on this. Like, we'll just go. (laughs) Yeah. When did you get involved with Avenue Q? Oh, at the very, very beginning. Um, Because Bobby Lopez and Jeff Marks were members of BMI Workshop. And by that time, their first thing together was a Muppet musical called Kermit, Prince of Denmark. (laughs) And in presenting the songs for Kermit, Prince of Denmark, which are is a fantastic score. And it kills me that that thing never got done. They met Rick Lyon, the head puppeteer, obviously, and the designer of all the Muppets for, um, mm. for Avenue Q, puppets for Avenue Q. And so basically Rick brought his Kermit and did like songs for them in BMI workshop, you know, in the presentations. And it was such a success. It was so charming and people just loved it so, so much. They sort of went like, what if we you know, did this sort of thing as a, you know, like on a satire of Sesame Street. (laughs) Okay. So now they're writing songs for a satire of Sesame Street and they need an Asian actor to come in and sing two lines and everyone's a little bit racist. (laughs) And like, so they're like, does anybody know an Asian actor that might be available on Thursday at four or whatever it was? And my college friend, Amanda Green, was in that same group of BMI. She said, I know somebody. Cut to, they call me out of the clear blue sky. Don't know them from anything. They're like, oh, we work, we do BMI workshop. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Fine. <laughs> you know, so I I go and I'm like, oh, my God, these songs are amazing. And like ever since then, I was Christmas Eve. Wow. Like 
and every version, like they just kept writing more stuff. And then, you know, de- tried, we developed little skits and we, like, we would just like do them in table reads or we would do them for producers or whatever, little presentations, every single one, Christmas Eve. It was your role. I mean, and it is iconically yours forever and ever, you know, on the cast album. Oh my God. And then you've also sort of spun off Christmas Eve into some some other events for BCEFA oh, over yes. the years too. <laughs> well, that was because our musical director, Gary Adler, was like, you should do a show with Christmas Eve, you know, just Christmas Eve with Christmas Eve. Like that would be the name of the show. And and I was like, oh, but I don't know. Like, you know, especially when we were still in the show, I didn't want that to be to take away from the thing. Sure. And then we closed. <laughs> and I was like, OK, well, if we're going to do it, now's the time. Strike when the iron is hot and people still remember who Christmas Eve is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we did our first benefit. Um, Christmas Eve with Christmas Eve and it was you know very successful and we just kept doing it as every single time we were all free in the month of December which ended up not being that many times I mean we've done it maybe Mm -hmm. six times because people have obligations you know like musical director my director me I've had a lot of Christmas jobs for some reason (laughs) and you're like oh I can't you know like I'm out of town I can't do it whatever it is and this year of course nobody did any shows so that was kind of a bummer yeah yeah and we talked about, like, should we try to do it remotely? And then I was like, I think the whole point of Christmas Eve is for me to be able to personally harass every single guy. Uh-huh. It just doesn't work like visual. You know, you have to be in person for me to like, oh, yeah. you know, pawing them and stuff. So I was like, no, it's no. live theater. That's like the part yeah. of it, you know? Yeah. You have so much of you can embody her so easily. Do you feel like um, there's there's a lot of you in Christmas Eve at some point? She's or? all me. <laughs> <laughs> she's know, all me. That's so that's so amazing. I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, she's very bright. I'm not. You know, I would never against Christmas Eve. You know, she's not a perfect person, mm-hmm. and, and no, you know, nobody Evan Hugh is a perfect person. Um, but I feel like. You know, she's very tough and she's very honest, but she's also got a great heart. I think there's a lot of qualities to her that I love and why I love playing her. Yeah. Now, was her name ever anything else? No. No, it was always Christmas Eve. I love that. That's so cool. Was it ever toyed around to possibly have you have a puppet? No, because I'm not a puppeteer. (laughs) (laughs) What what we did toy with were like, we were at the O'Neill Sometimes I would secondhand with somebody. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then they were like, this is too confusing. <laughs> like, yeah. When you're, yeah. you know, when you're up there playing a scene with somebody, they want it to be between you and the puppet. They don't want people to be watching you be like somebody's right hand. So it was like, oh, yeah. you know, just forget it. And I was like, all right, fair, you know. And now, Anne, when you took it to the West End, did you find that the audience responded similarly to the show in the way they did in the U.S.? That is so fascinating. Yes, they did. And we were not sure about that. And Cameron McIntosh, who produced it on the West End, also was not sure about it, which is why we ended up changing so many things about the show before we opened it. Well, for one thing, Gary Coleman was a man. (laughs) Okay, Oh, the New World Stages route, right? Isn't that what they did at New World? No, no, no. It was always no? a woman. No, no, okay, no. In okay. New York, it's always been a woman is Gary Coleman. But in in, in the UK was a man, a, wonder, a brilliant man, one of the most brilliant men I've ever known, Giles Torreira, who won the Olivier when he played Burr in Hamilton over there. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, so we had to change all the keys, you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> and we and there were jokes that we altered for the British audience, you know, like oh, what was it? Oh, we had to change. <laughs> we changed Long Island iced teas to absinthe daiquiris. <laughs> OK, <laughs> because basically the whole idea is like it had to be something that people would think that's a very bad idea. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> to go with the bad idea bears, but they had no idea what a Long Island iced tea was. Why would they, you know? So, right. yeah. yeah, it was like stuff like that where you'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then we worried a lot about whether they were going to understand the whole reference to Gary Coleman. Oh, okay. You know, as like former child star whose parents took all mm-hmm. of his money and now he's, so poor, he has to be the superintendent on Avenue Q. Okay. 
Still makes me laugh. That's a lot of backstory. That's a lot of backstory mm-hmm. if you don't know yeah. the reference. Of course. It turned out they all knew <laughs> They the watch American TV. <laughs> but like, you know, well, like we kind of like we went through versions where he was called Job. Again, like to signify he's somebody yes. who's been through a lot, just sort of generic uh-huh. former child star, not a specific former child star. It's like, oh, forget it. Just call him Gary. Mm-hmm. And it, like it all worked out. But like we went through a bunch of stages where it's like, what do we uh-huh. think about this? What do we think about that? So we were very worried. And then, of course, it started and they got it. They totally got it. And they loved it. You know, nobody thought the show would even be a hit. <laughs> I think they were just sort of sure. producing it to see if they could, you know, um, not because they thought, oh, yeah, we're going to make piles of money. They were just sort of like, right. let's see if it plays. Oh, I love and it, it totally played as opposed to Vegas where it didn't play because what people, what we didn't know or what Abney Q didn't know is that in Vegas, all the shows that are successful are spectacle shows. They're not, they're not plot talkie shows. Avenue Q is a talkie show. Like, you know, it's a bunch of puppets talking. It's not like, and now 25 dancers will do precision number on this giant staircase. Mm. So, yeah, those spectacle shows work better in Vegas because of the language mm-hmm. thing. There's a lot of tourists that come. They don't speak English and they want to see a show like Cirque. Like, oh, perfect. Yeah. You know what I mean? But not. Not oh, Avenue wow. Q. And of course, Avenue Q played at the Golden, which is sort of a more intimate theater. And oh, my God, it's <laughs> yeah. a shoebox. Yeah. It's, and that's totally why we picked where they picked it, mm-hmm. because the problem with Avenue Q is that it doesn't work terribly well in a regular theater where the audience kind of like fans mm-hmm. back from the stage, it, because then that's a sightline issue. But if you're in a shoebox that's straight back, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. We I love Avenue Q. You know, I'm remembering now when we saw it on tour, it was the day after our childhood dog had to be put down. And it was the most Ooh. the only way to make us smile <laughs> was Avenue Q. And so I, I, I do always associate it with you that. know what else I remember from that, which I've never seen this happen before. But the actress playing Christmas Eve came out, did the opening number and then she must have gotten sick. And a new actress came in and did the whole rest of the show, but they announced it at intermission. And at the time, it was such a, right. um, we noticed, because we were like these little theater nerds being like, oh, that's not the same girl. <laughs> but um, I remember intermission, when it came back on, no one else really noticed because she had been playing the entire, really most of the first act. So it was one of those like funny, like theater right. moments. Okay, wait, okay. So before we get into even more of your career, Anne, I have a question for you that we ask all of our guests. We like to go back to the origins of when you realized you wanted to dip your toes into the oceans of the arts. We call it a ring of keys moment because it's that moment of recognition. Do you feel like you have a ring, ring of keys moment? I think I have two ring of keys moments. Bring them on. Well, the first one, I guess I might have been four or whatever age it was that my parents decided it was okay for me to watch The Wizard of Oz on TV. (laughs) Because I so specifically remember my father like sitting me down in front of the TV and going like, you're going to be you're going to watch a movie tonight. And I think that you're old enough and, you know, but you're really going to like it. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't know anything. And also TV was not that big of a you know, like I grew up a really long time ago. <laughs> so it's not like there were so many movies on TV. You could call up movies anytime you wanted. It was like, this was a special event. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. So I watched The Wizard of Oz and I'm like, that girl is so good. Like in my mind, I was like, <laughs> that girl is amazing. So I just sort of feel like listening to Judy Garland and like then me learning somewhere over the rainbow just because I loved it so much. Me like making actually I remember that as the first time I actually made an effort to learn a song. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. On my own, not because it was a thing in school, just because that was a song that like I could, you know, it's like beautifully sung and I wanted to sing it myself. And Pretty much since then, it's like if Judy Garland is on TV, I will watch it. If, you know, she's my favorite actress, I think of all time. She's the performer who I always think is always in my head in terms of like, what would Judy do? What has Judy done? You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, I just feel like there's never been anybody more able to kind of like mix all the feelings in at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she's so, you know, she's so vulnerable, but she can be very funny and she can be very strong and she can be tough. And obviously, like, she's a hot mess. Like, there are so many movies where you're watching. And she's like, mm, she is a mess. Like, you're looking, you're watching. You literally see her change weight between scenes. You know, Star is Born in particular. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but even like in Summerstock. You're literally like, did she gain 10 pounds from, <laughs> you know, a scene ago? Like, you're literally like, what's happening? She's just so brilliant. Her talent is so, you know, incandescent. Like, it doesn't matter. I, I To me, it doesn't matter. I just mm-hmm. think she's, she's just look at her. You know, she's just genius. So there was that. So that was the first time I remember going like, I love this. I love her. I love this song. I want to sing like that. You know, blah, blah, blah. Then when I was in fifth grade, no, when I was in second grade, I saw the sixth graders put on a show and they had written it themselves. And it was all about the environment. (laughs) It sounds awful. Okay. So, but it was like, there were maybe six or eight of them, you know, and they all played these different characters and, you know, they, they took us through all the different kinds of environments and it was really funny and like, whatever. And I was just like, they wrote that themselves. And then they did that. And like these, people are only a few years older than me. Mm. Like it was the first time I kind of grasped that you could do stuff by yourself, that it didn't have to be, you know, like you didn't have to be a genius like Judy Garland to be in a movie. You could just be a person and be in a play and still sort of have that effect on people storytelling. Mm. And, And I was just like, Oh, this is really good. This is really good. So like it put in my mind, like, Maybe this is something you might want to do someday, not necessarily be in a play about the environment, but just be in a play, you know? And I sort of hung on to that for a while and I went to see shows. And again, every single time I went, I was like, how are these people so good? And I'm literally watching like the seniors, you know what I mean? Like they weren't like, now granted we had a very like a a genius class that I saw produced godspell when i was like in sixth grade and they were the seniors you know it was like two tony nominees were in that class it was crazy but like still i was like these people are very good and they are only you know like in my mind i'm like they're 17 (laughs) 12 (laughs) you know like it can't be that hard like in my mind like i can do this like i could do this and then that's sort of what happened and you did it that's wow when when were you finally able to put to meld those the Judy Garland moment with that I can do this too at the same time? Avenue Q. Mm. Because it was my idea to bring a little Judy into rub someone. Yes. And I just thought, well, this would be good because it's a it's a style change and it's also like indicating to the audience that this is an important moment in terms of you know, Christmas Eve and Kate, blah, blah, blah. This yeah, whole yeah. thing in my head, I justified it. And nobody nobody needed a justification, but it was just sort of like, I just want it to sound different. You know what I mean? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, that gives me chills. That is so special. You you really um, were able to uh, to explain that in such an eloquent way. And I, uh, you are so captivating, Anne. Oh, my goodness. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love listening to you talk. Okay, so you have done so many iconic musicals, TV show, literally the list goes on and on and on. And we've only ever done this with like one or two other guests, but I want to play like a little game with you where we're going to run through a lot of your projects. And we just ask that you share maybe the first thing you think of or your favorite memory or a little behind the scenes tidbit, whatever comes to mind about various projects you were in. You ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Okay. Cinderella. Oh, it was the dream come true of my life. I love Rodgers and Hammerstein so much. And again, this is one of those things where a bunch of us got asked to be in like a workshop, you know, like a okay. reading. And then they, and then, then we just stayed together the whole time. Oh my goodness. Wow. So for me, that the producer, Robin Goodman, who had also was also one of the producers on Avenue Q, had oh, thought of okay. me for Charlotte really meant so much to me because it was like, she sees my soul. She gets me and mm-hmm. what I can do and who I am and not just looking at this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really felt like in Cinderella, everybody was perfectly cast for their parts. Oh, yeah. And we all just got along like gangbusters and we were and we were so tight and it was the fun, most fun I've ever had. 
Oh, I love that. Did you do the entire run of Cinderella? No, I left a little early because I had gotten cast in Brooklynite. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, kind of like by that time, we were like on our third madam. And like, you know, we were like, we uh-huh. already <laughs> lost a lot of the principles. So I was like, it doesn't matter if I leave a couple of months early. And it didn't. Yeah. So. Oh, I love it. I so wish we could have seen you do that. Were you there when Carly Rae Jepsen did it? You bet I was. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I love that because she came out with her emotion album after that. And I'm such a Carly Rae Jepsen fan. And I was just like, oh my God, she can go do like slip into a Broadway show and then come out and release this iconic pop album. She really works hard. That girl works. Like, you know, she, she was doing Cinderella. She was writing songs. She, you know. I don't begrudge her any of her success. I think she's very talented. (laughs) Oh, I love to hear that. That's awesome. Okay, Anne, we mentioned it earlier, but Smash. Yes. Smash. Oh, my God. The most fun. Well, for me, because I was hired, like, to be in four episodes. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah, you'll just be the stage manager and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, I have, like, two lights. No problem. So I showed my first day, and I'm so scared and so nervous, and I'm sitting in my trailer, and Christian Borrell comes by to say hi because he'd seen my name on the call sheet. And I was like, that's so nice of you. Thank you for coming by. (laughs) You know, and then they just kept writing me into episodes. So I would just get a call like, hey, are you free next week to be in episode blah? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. What else am I doing? And they just kept calling me, even though I was never hired to be like full time on the show ever. Like I was always a day player. I always was wow. like every episode at a time be like, is that available? <laughs> be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That went on for 18 episodes. <laughs> so that wow. was, that's what that was like. And But it was so fun for me to be able to go back to a set because I've never gone back to a set. I'm usually only hired to like, come on for a day, say my three lines and go home. But mm-hmm. like to, just to have the experience of like being there all the time and to be able to watch the kind of like cameramen do what they do and like actually learn a little bit about, you know, like where you, which piece of tape you have to watch pretending it's Deborah Messing. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. <laughs> okay. It was amazing for me. Like I learned so, so much. And I, you know, like these genius TV actors, you know, Jack Davenport, he's a genius. Oh, yeah. He's so smart. He he was always like, hey, if you shoot it like this, then you don't need to call her anymore. <laughs> like whatever it was. I was like, oh, wow. yeah. Like, you know, like just he's thinking ahead. He knows just like the way people kind of like understood the problems of coverage and, you know, shooting. Like it was amazing. Just incredible. Every day I just learned so, so, so much. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Oh, my, oh my God. I love it. We love Smash. I've watched oh. it. Over and over, especially season one, I, I think is just fantastic. That bombshell music. Oh, yeah. Is it's unbelievable. It's killer. It's yeah. killer. Wasn't that concert like the coolest thing? Oh, and Anne, so you cool. slayed Wolf. That was amazing. And I told Mark Shaman, like, you cannot give me this song. I think nobody <laughs> wants to hear me sing this stupid song. They want to hear one of those girls sing it. And he was like, those girls are going to need to change clothes and drink some water. Just (laughs) calm down. Yeah. And I was like, all right. And it was really fun. And I'm so glad. (laughs) You have to keep that. You have to keep that song in your repertoire for any cabaret or show you do. Because it's no good unless you have a whole (laughs) bunch of people behind you going, oh, you know, you can't do it it by yourself. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think in the show, that's one of the scenes where like Ivy's singing and Karen's like really selling it as one of the like ensembleists and she's singing too loud. And and Derek's (laughs) like, "Um, we got to get her out of here or whatever. Or I forget who does it. But um, now, did they sing live when you when you guys were filming it? Like when the characters were, you know, in the, in the, in the rehearsal room, would they perform it live take after take? Yes. But I mean, they did it to tracks. Oh yeah. Okay. You're right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, and of course we knew that they were ultimately going to use whatever they recorded, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but you know, but you can't, if you're Benedict Peters, you're not going to go through Rose's turn and lip sync it. You know what I mean? So like, even though, you know, she had the track behind her, she was still singing. Yeah. Because it's hard to, if you don't sing, it's then hard to kind of like match the face and the lips. Right, right. You know what I mean? The feeling. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying like everybody sang full out all the time. You'd kill yourself. But it was. Yeah. But yeah, I think everybody took a pass at, you know, like singing those songs. 
especially like with like the poor dancers, I felt so bad for them because, you know, you do like those takes and be like, these guys are going full out because they're recording every take, you know, they're shooting every take. So like to do like those hard, hard dance numbers, like 40 times in a row, like, you know, just full out. You'd be like, oh, my God, how are they going to survive this? <laughs> and you're sitting you're sitting at the table I'm with Angelica. The table with the, yeah. With like a clipboard going like, I don't know. Look at my stopwatch. Oh, I love fun. it. That is an iconic show. OK, next we've got we're going back to Broadway with nine to five. Oh, God, I love that show. Well, here, this is the thing about nine to five. They asked me to cover Alice and Jan, mm-hmm. which I thought was so hysterically funny that I thought, sure, of course, you'll like in my mind because I hate, I hate, hate covering. I hate understudying. I don't because I always feel like I'm never going to be ready, Oh, which is stupid because the, the one time I had covered before that, it was in Susical and I did actually enjoy that and I did actually enjoy going on. <laughs> that was like the only so I was like oh I really don't and then they were like you get to understand the Alice and Jenny and I just thought that's hilarious that you'd want a five foot Asian girl covering six foot Alice and Jenny <laughs> I'm like okay good luck so I was like yeah sure I'll do it and then I had to be in the show because I asked like I mean I was like I didn't want to just be a cover on the side not that they offered that but like I also had to be in the ensemble and then I was like mm-hmm. oh my god I actually have to do any blank and Bueller choreography this absolutely laid me out I was so bad <laughs> like I didn't understand a word he was saying for like two weeks and like he was talking I'd be like what the <laughs> f is he talking about like I just totally didn't get it for so long. I don't even know how I survived that. He would put like the non-dancers way in the back. Thank God. So I did. It was okay. But I mean, I'm just <laughs> saying like the things happened like in that show, like I fell down. I had to army crawl off stage at one point. <laughs> I, like just, you know, like just stuff happens because I'm not a dancer. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. You know, like, uh, so like that was fun. It was hard. And we changed that choreography all the time. So even like if I could finally like figure out what's going on one day, the next day would be totally different. I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, just like learn it and oh just try goodness. not to fall down. And then, of course, I fell down. But it's like such a challenge, like on so many levels that way. And then to have the added pressure of like, oh, let me just learn this in gigantic Alice and Jenny part in case she ever gets this, which thank God she never did. Yeah, she never got it. Oh, wow. Because I think she knew like people were coming to see her. And she takes that very seriously, as would anybody. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, thank my God, because I would not want to play to the three people who would stay <laughs> because I was there and like everybody else is turning in their tickets and going home. So there it is. Impossible that would ever happen. And oh, my God, we love that. I think that's the only show we've ever seen you live in. And you were really? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what we saw, yeah. we saw Galen Gilliland. Oh, as, she's great. Um, as Judy. As, uh, as Judy. Judy yes, yeah. She was phenomenal. She would- Unbelievable. Okay, next one. We've got to talk about Les Mis. Les Mis. Well, this was a thrill because, you know, I'd seen Les Mis when it first came out. (laughs) And I was like, what an amazing show. I just love it. It's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. I love the music. I love everything about it. But like, you know, because it's one of those British musicals. I'm like, I'll never be Mm -hmm. in it. So it doesn't matter. Cut to, I just come back from Avenue Q in London. And Cameron McIntosh was like, hey, do you want to be in Les Mis in New York? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, really? You think about that? He's like, yeah, like, maybe go in and see if you can sing it. I was like, can I sing it? What is it? I'm like, what could it be like? Master of the house. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I think I can sing it. <laughs> so I went in and I sang and they were like, yeah, OK, fine. And I was like, OK, great. And then I was like, now I have to be in it. Yeah. So, you know, they teach you the show. This is what happens when like this is the first time I ever had to replace in a show. Oh, okay. And well, that's not true. And Butterfly was replacing, but that was a totally different kettle of fish. This was much harder because it's a set show. You have no control. Do you know what I mean? It's literally like, Mm -hmm. this is the music you walk in on. This is the music you move the bowl on. This is the music you move the spoon on. This is the like, everything was like that. Mm. So it's like, now I move a cup. Here's your plate. Da 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 fork. Da 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 spoon. Like that's how I had kind of had to learn it. <laughs> and because I didn't go in with a whole new bunch of people, I went in with a you know a Javert and a Eponine, and you know like I didn't go in with like a whole company. So okay. I was learning this by myself, right? Mm. So then 
like my first week on was the week that Gary Beach missed his entrance <laughs> for that number. Oh, no. <laughs> and this is a legendary story. Like literally he was not even dressed. He always waited for his dresser to come get him and dress him for this number. Okay. But that particular day, that dresser got hung up because Max von Essen had had a costume malfunction all the way on the other side of the theater. So the dresser is late getting to Gary. In fact, doesn't even show up. <laughs> oh my God. Gary doesn't even have his monitor on because he's so used to this dresser coming and getting him. So here we go. Now we're starting. Like <laughs> we're in the end. Here, come, here I come with my bowl. Da, 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 da. I'm like, where the fuck is he? <laughs> so I'm like, I don't even know. I'm like, I'm so new. I don't even know his part. I couldn't, right. I couldn't even start the song. I didn't know how it started. <laughs> All I know is like my five lines in the middle of the song. <laughs> right. And again, like this company, like I barely know this company. We've done it like, you know what, five times or something. Okay, here we go. Da, da, da. I'm we're all on stage together. I'm like, he's not here. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So then there's like maybe 10, 15 minutes of like, hey, where's that old Tenardi kind of ad living going on? <laughs> all these guys on stage like, where is he? Where is that crazy old man? <laughs> like a lot of <laughs> chuckling and, you know, hubbub i i'm looking at the stage manager who's off on stage last like hmm? he's like i don't know i'm like go look you know like i'm, <laughs> I'm like just trying to like see if he died you know like i don't know mm-hmm. his, like, yeah because his dressing room is not that far away from the okay from the oh, thank god yeah no it's like you know one flight down or something and i'm like mm-hmm. here comes the music the music now like we're or like it's going by. All right. Now, you, it's my miss. So I'm thinking pretty much the whole audience could start the song <laughs> if they uh-huh. wanted to. <laughs> I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? Should we try to do a group sing? You know what I mean? Like, right. Like sing along. Everybody, everybody who covers Tenardier <laughs> is on stage. So I'm literally like, does somebody just want to start it? <laughs> like, I don't know what to, like, I don't know what we should do. Meanwhile, the orchestra's, you know, they're just playing along, hopeful that somebody's going to jump in at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's all of these like looks like, is it now? What should we do? I don't know. I still have a long time before I say my line, <laughs> you know, <laughs> finally, 32 bars go by. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. It probably felt like like 30 minutes. Oh, it felt so long. It literally felt so long. <laughs> I didn't know what to do, but like I was paralyzed. I had no idea what to do. Like I said, I had learned this entire show by now I move a mug. I hadn't learned it, you know, sing his part 500 times. Then you say this. I hadn't learned it like that at all. So, so here he comes. I'm like, oh my God, thank God he's not dead. He staggers on. He's dressing himself <laughs> like he's got his jacket kind of half on. He's trying to button his pants and he's and he's getting on stage. And I'm like, he's not dead. He's not dead. Thank God. OK, so like finally he gets, you know, he gets there. He starts somewhere and then we just kept going. But I was learning like. What the hell? Oh, my God. The adrenaline must have been pumping. Like, I cannot even imagine. No, I cannot was, imagine. It was terrifying because I just kept thinking, like, should I stop? Should we stop and just start mm-hmm. over? You know what I mean? Right. Because it isn't at such a crucial storytelling point. Like, oh, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, I was just like, what are we going to do? Just like that kind of group think of like, look at everybody on the stage. What are we going to do? Guys, uh-huh. anybody, guys? And then like looking at stage manager, like, help me. And they're like, meow, meow. <laughs> I'm like I, like, I just don't know who, like, who collectively makes the call when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never thought about it before, but because there really should, there's no contingency plans no, for what happens if they don't, there's no contingency don't show plan. up. I mean, you know, that happens all. People miss entrances all the time, obviously. Because people yeah. are human and things happen. I've missed entrances a million times, but not to the point where 
I thought the song cannot start. Like I was always there right. if I, I was always there if I started the song <laughs> or, or like, you know, like the person who is the whole song that is really, is not right. there. So like, then what do you do? Do you just sort of like, well, let's sing about him. If he were here, he'd say, welcome, monsieur. I mean, like, I really, I had no idea like what we were going to do with that. Mm. Did he, did you ever talk to him about it afterwards? Was he embarrassed? Of course, that's all or? we talked about. I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, of course he was. No, I mean, he was a pro. Gary, you know, one oh, of yeah. the great theater performers of all time. Mm-hmm. Gary Beach, Jesus Christ. Gone Christ. too soon. Gone too soon. Gone too soon. Sure. And, and the loveliest person. But like, but like literally, you're, uh, I was like, never turn your monitor off again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of you like you barely have to have it on but you have to have it on right yeah that'd be like him missing his cue for for be our guest in beauty and the beast or something it's just like you can't do the song without him right well i mean he's in a scene right before that so i mean at least he, you know he's gonna yeah. be there because he's telling mm-hmm. bell oh here comes your dinner <laughs> you know what i mean like he's gonna be there yeah. right, it's just right. when you sort of have one of those entrances and then you start singing that's sort of a different you know thing yeah Oh yeah! Oh my God, that is such a crazy. <laughs> I've never heard that story before. That oh, is you're so kidding! Oh my crazy. God, it's never, legendary. Never. Oh my God, it's. Oh my God, that was a gift. Okay, so last one we'll do in this little game before we move on to our last segment. But I'm so curious about Falsetto Land. Oh my gosh, I love that show so much. We all love that show so much. Mm-hmm. And um, there was this. Uh, there still is this uh, theater company, Natco National Asian American Theater Company, and their whole mission was to do the classics with an all Asian cast kind of like to show, you know, they do things like cherry orchard or whatever, like to show that, like, you know, give Asian actors the opportunity to do these classics. If we weren't getting those opportunities in mainstream productions mm-hmm. and to, again, to like, we're just as good. We can do it. So, you know, whatever. Okay. So um, they were looking to do this benefit to raise money. And we were like, let's do falsetto land because we can do that with a small cast and, you know, Bill Finn, we, you know, contacted him and he let us have, you know, the rights to do it. And so we did it like at, at St. Peter's Church one night and it was so successful um, that they were like, let's try to mount this production, like a real production. And we were like, yeah. So um, we got to do it one summer and it was at the Vineyard Theater. It was the, it was so, so great. Like, to, like these were all my best friends, you know, that and we had been kind of like slogging it out in the trenches already for some time oh, yeah. at that point. And that was a really long time ago. And I just like, Jesus Christ, now it's, you know, a million years later and we're still slogging it out. But it's the same mm. concept of like you'd make stuff with your friends, your you mm-hmm. people that you trust and who really get you and really know you. And it's very it's the it's more rewarding that way. You know what I mean? It was thrilling to oh, do wow. that show, to have the opportunity to do that show, because that and was you were Trina. I was right? Trina. Yeah. Uh, so I got to sing holding to the ground. You know, it was like it was mm. my um, kind of like my dream part because uh, to me, Asians and Jews, it's the flip side. It's the flip side. Like we have very mm-hmm. similar upbringings, really, if you take out mm-hmm. the religion part. But everything else is the same, you know, just like being like the constant like push to excel, the constant push to not disgrace your family, that you're working out of a place of not harming <laughs> as opposed to putting yourself forward. Wow. Wow. I can only imagine that that just carried such an interesting added emotional response. I mean, you know, both, I think both groups are also very neurotic and I felt like it really spoke to like that stuff really spoke to me in a way that most musical theater, you know, not that it didn't, not the musical theater speak to me, but like it was so close to who I was as a person. And I still feel that way about William Finn's work. You know what I mean? Like he is, the, oh, yeah. he is the writer where if I hear a song that he's written, I know immediately that he wrote it. He, you know what I mean? Like his voice is so, is so much a part of who I am. I just, I worship, I worship that guy. I think he's amazing. Oh, love it. So cool. Okay. So, and you've done so many other things, but we're running out of time here. So I don't want to keep you too much longer, but before we say goodbye, we like to end on a dose of drama, which could be a pop culture recommendation, something you're musing about on a ranch, rave on, whatever it could be. And I thought of this during the talk because as we were chatting with you, because I'm like, oh my God, Wicked is one of my favorite shows. And I cannot believe 
we've never seen you as Madame Morrible. I know. Oh my God, I'm, I'm so dramatic about it, but we need you as Morrible. No, you really don't. I've thought about this a lot because obviously I've had a lot of friends play Morrible. I've seen this show a few times. I think I would be terrible as Morrible. First of all, I'm too short. I feel like Morrible should be more physically imposing to have okay. some okay. sort of authority over the two girls, both of whom would tower over me. Doesn't matter who you cast. Unless, you know, I do it opposite Kristen Chenoweth, in which Kristen. case it would be eye to eye. So I don't know that that would work very well. Um, also, <laughs> I don't like rake. I don't like heels on a rake. And I was like, I think that would be a problematic part for me. I've heard okay. that has killed people's backs. Yeah. Just- yeah. Um, that shows very strenuous on everybody. Um, yeah, probably not. I don't I don't think I ever will get called in. There's that. Okay. Okay. Now, the thing that I want to talk about is, um, yes. strangely enough, maybe not in the context of today, representation. Mm-hmm. I am so, and I'll not, and I'm now, I will now plug Schmigadoon as a part of this. I am so good, good. pleased that I was cast in Schmigadoon because I, when that comes out, I will be an Asian principal in this town that was conceived as a place where everybody lives in a musical. So I feel like if you see an Asian face in this town, it will somehow strike a blow for we belong, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not out of the ordinary and it's fine. And it doesn't have to be like a whole town full of Asians in Flower Drum Song or a whole town full of Asians in Miss Saigon. It's in an American musical. You could have an Asian face and it's not Mm going to hurt anything. Mm -hmm. You know, they have written, they wrote this fantastic song for my character. I'm so thrilled with it. I think it's so beautiful. And it reminded me so much of a song from carousel but i don't want to talk about it because i don't want to give away any spoilers but i feel like just the the whole tone of the show um you know is such an homage to musical theater so if you love musical theater you will get it so deeply and if you don't love musical theater you'll still enjoy it do you know what i mean but if oh, you yeah. get it, you'll really get it. <laughs> like, and every song is like that. Like, uh, you know, um, I, I can't, I can't, I can't give you any specifics. But I'm just saying, like, uh, that's like okay. People who sing, people who sing the songs are like, it's so obvious, kind of like to me, what song it's sort of modeled on or homage oh, to. Cool. So people will launch to a song and be like, oh, that's blah, blah from, you know, but it's so funny. It's just like, and I think it's so sweet. I think the heart of it is so good. And I think that so many theater people are in, you know, so many theater people are in it and we can't all be wrong. Like that's sort of how mm-hmm. I feel like, and we, yeah. and you like, you talk to other people on set and go like, is it me? Or like, is this really funny? Cause I think it's really funny. You know, like how sometimes you just question yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I, I think it is. <laughs> but I'd be like, yeah, I think it is. You know, um, I just, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed with Cecily and with Keegan. I just think that they're wonderful. I worship Cecily in particular. Love Keegan, but Cecily. She's, oh she's a genius, you know. And um, just like, so, like the way they produced it, the art direction is unbelievable. It's like I saw my the set of my house. I started to cry like oh. it was so beautiful. It was like being in theater Disneyland. <laughs> like, it's oh. called Schmigadoon. I love it. You I know? love it. So that's sort of like for me what I'm mm-hmm. like, again, like I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud that I was picked to be part of that world. And I mm-hmm. really, really hope that my inclusion in that world will help other kids to see like it's possible mm-hmm. i hope so too you know? we need it right now so especially too. with all the violence that we're seeing against the asian American well yeah i mean and- that's part of it is that for so long and 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 this i totally get it because there is such a huge immigrant population kind of like at all times in our history or in our american history but it's like we are also americans who were born in this country who mm-hmm. were raised to believe all of these things about our basic human rights as individuals. 
and to yeah. st- and for years and years to still be perceived as like foreign other just based on your face is like very depressing <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and it's sort of like and again not taking anything away from the struggles of black people in this country which have been much worse and horrible you know we were at least we're not an enslaved people but it's like if you're a person of color at some point somebody will find a way to comment on that and make you feel like you're not american enough mm-hmm. and that has to stop because mm-hmm. it's not true one it's not true and two it's like we all have basic human rights and we all deserve those rights. And one of those rights is to be safe, mm-hmm. you know? And it's so like, it's especially hurtful, I think for our community, because so many of the attacks seem to be on older people. Right. Oh, you know, it's just horrible. Oh man. I'm about to start crying at the empathy that I am just, you, you put it so beautifully and it's, it's, I'm glad there's attention being drawn to it. It even reminds me of how this beautiful movie Minari, which is one of my favorite movies this year, it's not, it wasn't considered um, to be a best picture. It was only considered a foreign film, even though it's majority of it is in English. It's the story about um, the American dream and the othering Asians in this movie. And it's just, it's so devastating to me. I, I hope the Oscars see it differently, but the movie in general, everyone needs to watch because it also speaks to um, the idea of the, a little bit of what you were just talking about. I think I'm very proud to be Japanese American and I have never felt any kind of like, I've never been embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that because I come from a very strong culture. I grew up in Hawaii where Asians mm-hmm. are the majority. Right. So if you come from that perspective, you never think, oh, I'm less than I'm somehow not going to be as good as everybody else. No, I come into it thinking like I'm as good or better. I can do this. There's nothing I can't Mm. do. But I don't I do not believe everybody in my position is raised that way. Yeah. And her has that similar experience. And that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for it. Well, thank you for calling attention to that. Yes. And I think it's it may, gives me great hope that, you know, Shmigadoon is featuring you in such a great role and what it'll mean to young Asian people everywhere to see themselves represented. It actually reminds me of on the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, yes, yes, yes. the CW show that Rachel Bloom did, the main love interest, the, the man that she is the ex-girlfriend of yes. is an Asian man. And I remember listening to Rachel Bloom talk about how it was never, you know, we, we don't often see Asian men being idolized as sex symbols or as these, you know, their sexuality can be stripped away and how we need to have representation of, you know, this woman, she upends her entire life to chase after right. a man and he's Asian. And, you know, we need more representation across the board for Asian people, for sure. And I'm happy to say there are uh, a few Asian people in the ensemble. Oh, good, good. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, Before we wrap, Dylan, do you have a dose of drama really quick? Well, mine ties in with Schmigatoon. And I remember on election night or or around that time, you tweeted that Aaron Tveit was your comforting, guiding light, that everything was going to be okay. (laughs) And I know we don't know each other well, but Aaron Tveit is my ring of keys moment, my my one and only. And I need to know what it was like to work with him. First of all, we had no scenes together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, or like one, we're like, literally like I walked past him, uh-huh. you know, like, and he talks to somebody else in the group. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, that was fun. You know, like we <laughs> never saw each other on set. Never, hardly ever. But this one time we were in the makeup trailer at the same time and we were all freaking out, you know, course, about the election. Yeah. And, and he was like, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> and I was like, I feel better that Aaron DeVate has told me it's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, just... That's all I want. I want him to hold me and tell me everything's going to be okay. No, I know. <laughs> and he's a lovely, lovely guy. Oh. You know, like there, there's just no, yeah, no, I have no beef with Aaron DeVate. I think he's fantastic. Same. I love it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love to hear it. Well, Anne, thank you so much for your time today. We absolutely adore you. You were 
a Broadway legend, the kindest person. And I truly, this has meant so much to me to get to hear about your experiences and all these various projects and to get a little wisdom from you. And everybody needs to check out The Worst People You Know, which Mm -hmm. it's all on Vimeo, I believe. And follow Anne on Twitter, at Anne Harada. And on Instagram, I am Anne Harada. But I'll tell you, if you... Follow me on Instagram and send me a message. It's anybody's guess when I'll get it because I'm old and I don't look at Instagram that much and I forget. So like people are like, no, you have to look at it every day. And I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. So, so many times, like I go on Instagram and all I see is like, Bob, I mentioned you in their story. And I'm like, what was it? Oh, because it's gone at that point. (laughs) It's totally gone. (laughs) And And then like, you know, like I'll, check my messages and it'll be like some message and I'll be like, Oh, I don't even know when this was mm. sent. I'm really sorry. You guys. Um, yeah. Well, Twitter, Twitter's the place to one. find you then. Twitter's the place. Twitter is the place. <laughs> well, thank you. And of course everyone should follow us at the drama podcast, me at Dylan McDowell and Connor at Connor McDowell. And you are a delight. We cannot wait to see Schmigadoon and everything else you have in store for us. Thank you for being such a wonderful representative representation of the Asian community and just a genuinely kind and wonderful person. That's very nice of you. Thank you very much. All right. And Connor, I'll see you next time. Drama. Drama.